Hello and welcome back to Portrait of an Editor. I am Francis Lombard. You could say my New York Comic Con 2022 talk with Fabrice Sapolsky should be called Portrait of a Publisher because we cover a lot here with what he's doing with Fair Square Comics. He delivers excellent points on the hustle it takes to keep an independent publisher going for the long haul. We also discuss the upside of printing in the United States, Fair Square Comics slate for 2023, and the future of Mutiny Magazine. Enjoy. So I'm here with Fabrice Sapolsky, a regular guest on Portrait of an Editor. Yay. It's after three years and whatever, we're finally face-to-face. We are actually face-to-face yes. down in Artist Alley in New York Comic Con 2022. And it's Saturday before the craziness really kicks in. I don't know, you were saying that you weren't on the floor yesterday. I was there. I had to walk through a couple times. Oh, I, I was glued to my table <laughs> in Artist Alley. To, yeah. But I put on my mask immediately because I'm like, there there's so many people. I mean, years ago it wouldn't be an issue, but now after COVID, it's just like, wait, 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 stop. And, and they clearly, I mean, I'm actually surprised that they don't enforce it as they have been in the past. But at the same time, they were very clear. We got a lot of messages, like even like, I wouldn't say threats, but like uh, reminders, strong <laughs> reminders that uh, if they see us as uh, exhibitors without our mask on, uh, they would escort us out. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, because I was wondering, they can at least enforce it with you guys. They can, So they yeah. are trying to talk to people yes. and do it, because last night I was talking to somebody who said they have friends on Law & Order, and everybody's getting it on the, on the sets. And they test like crazy, though, all the protocols. But, you know, yeah, people are probably going to come out of this with... Uh, Somebody's going to get COVID here. Right? Somebody, yeah. As long as it's not a super spreader, I think yeah. we'll be fine. I'll be testing like crazy, burning through my, my free kits. Thank you, uh, thank you, government. So, so, it's Saturday. It's Saturday. You, uh, What's your attitude towards the whole thing? It's about this really, extremely there's a lot of people out positive. there. Extremely yeah. positive. Extremely positive. Thursday started really soft, and then it kind of picked up in the afternoon. Yep. Friday felt like a Saturday, actually. Yeah. This is the thing. Friday felt like a Saturday. So I'm like, how will Saturday be? Maybe like a Sunday, because Sunday in the past editions, I mean, before COVID, were the biggest days. Mm-hmm. Because you had the family, and you also had all the fans, like, making all this last-minute last shopping. Yeah. So Sundays were actually always better than Saturdays in the recent years. But now we have no reference. So everything has been kind of like messed up, scrambled by the pandemic. So, but, but I have like a reasonable expectation and I can tell you like we had a goal and we're almost at the goal that we, that we set for ourselves and we're only the third day. So uh, everything that will come after today is going to be bonus. Yeah, and your day, I mean, you guys are in Artist Alley. Your day starts at, what, 9 o'clock and goes to... Well, officially it's like it starts at 10 or 9.30 because people have like premium passes. But like in the first like two three hours, people are kind of like uh, looking around, window shopping, and it and it really is after they start picking up. Like, okay, we're gonna be serious. Like I, I went around your 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 booth two or three times, and it looks like this these things are like very attractive or interesting, and I'm gonna take a look. So yeah. And do you adjust your expectations? Do you do anything to sort of? better, you know, reach your numbers as you sort of figure out what's going on and see Sometimes, the crowd and I mean, so it, it's like, remember that when you're in Iris Valley, 
you have a six foot table. Yeah, I know, yeah. So the, the space is very limited. We have over 10 references, plus my art that I'm still selling because I'm an artist too. So it is, it is, uh, it, it's like, how can you use that very limited space to cram as much product and, and references as you can? So we try to be innovative. Like I have an I have an arm uh-huh. here with my portfolio that is like rotating around the table. We have a we have a, a bookshelf now that is standing Build up instead of exactly out. <laughs> yes uh, because we can we can fit more product in there and and it, it's directly like it's set at people's eyes and they they can see it. So mm-hmm. I mean again we're trying to be creative as much as we can with with and it's all about it, it's it's. It, it's the smart, the smartest will win. Like, and sometimes you, you, you take ideas from other people in the yeah. room, and some people are very clever in the way they handle their table and they handle their, the way they display their products. So, yeah, you, you you can't be you can't be the person who comes and say, okay, I know all the answers. So you just you take a look and you you try to take inspiration from the people who are like smarter than you, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, as an editor. This is not, it's not, I mean, this show is called Portrait of an Editor, but here you are sort of just hustling and getting stuff out. And this is what it's like as, well, I don't want to say small press. What would you call yourself, right? You know, not independent press. Um, We've had this conversation. Like, yeah, what do you consider I mean, yourself just right now? I mean, I'm an indie comic creator first. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a publisher second. Exactly. Um, the editing job, I'm still doing a lot of editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it kind of took second place because being a publisher is no joke. Uh, it's a lot of work that people never see. It's a lot of, of back and forth with the distributor, uh, working with the, uh, the network, uh, working with the retailers, doing publicity, doing a lot of stuff that people never see. People have no idea what a publisher does. Like, what's, a, what's the rule of a publisher? If you if you one day you want to do portrait of a publisher, like, I can come back and t- tell you all about it, but it, 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 it clearly is something that I had never anticipated. Like, it's funny, I've been in publishing for 24 years, and I've done pretty much everything there, like, um, graphic design, editing, uh, lettering, writing, drawing, everything you could like. There's almost nothing that I haven't done, but still I was not prepared for what it was like to be a publisher. And uh, it's it's different when you see it happening from another role, Mm -hmm. and when you are in those shoes and you have to perform the duties of a publisher, so. But all those things you've done basically lead, you know, funnel into what you need to know as a publisher, it makes your, you know, you, yes, you understand. Yes, yeah, you because you have, to communi- you have to go back around and deal with all those people. Absolutely. Too, but it, you know, those like skills you, and understand their You job. always underestimate the time yeah. that it takes, like, to to go around other, like, even a show like this, you still have to maintain a relationship with the promoter. You still have to kind of lobby. I wouldn't say lobby, it's like strong of a word, but I would say, like, you still have to make sure that they keep you in their good graces. Um, you have to make sure that they keep understanding how relevant you are, because nothing is guaranteed. Like, I have a table, this year I am selling, they could decide that next year I don't have a table on our staff. And so you have to keep pushing, keep producing, keep showing, 
your colors, your skills, your relevancy. Yeah. And, and and it's a game of hustlers. This is this is what it is. We're hustlers, and especially as as, as small publishers, this is that. But yeah, you're right. I'm I'm a, I'm still a creator first. I mean, I released two creator on this year, two last year, two next year, and that's my goal. Like I I created Fair Square Comics because basically no one wanted to give me a job. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I still have to maintain, even though we're welcoming, we have the best creator-owned deal on the market. And I'm saying that I already told you that, <laughs> but I maintain it. We have the best creator-owned deal on the market, but we don't have the volume that image has. So that's the challenge. So what's the next phase for us? It's like, okay, we have to grow to the point where we become a credible home for those creators who say, okay, they have the best deal, but will they have the numbers? So we're working on that right now, and that's why we're growing from 10 titles in 2022 to 23 titles in 2023. I mean, I also like the gimmick 23 for 23. Um, it's good marketing. Uh, that's so Barnum and Bailey. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> Which is what a publisher, is, at the end of the day, has to be part of that, too. Absolutely. But, but in the end, it's also a game of, okay, you're going to release books, and, and the way we see it is every book has to be profitable mm -hmm. because we're, we're self-funded. Like there's, there's no big investor. Like We literally started with zero, zero dollars. We went on Kickstarter, we, we did Noir's and New Black, $48,000 later, we had a book. That book has been a success. We sold over 5,000 copies of Noir's and New Black oh, in, in, in 18 months. Thank you very much. For, for debuting publisher, this is just amazing. I'm still like marveled at what we've been able to accomplish, especially a, a graphic novel that I didn't put together in five months with 40 creators. So um, it's, it's still like this miracle keeps going and we're morphing Noir is the New Black. And people come all the time saying, hey, when's the, when's the next Noir is the New Black? And we're like, okay. So a lot of our creators have been poached by bigger companies, which is kind of like a, well, that's, a, a recognition, yeah, like a, yeah. an acknowledgement that, okay, well, these guys exist and they're, they're doing kind of a good job. But at the same time, we still have to fill our schedule with new books. Yeah. So what we're doing now is that we're morphing Noir's New Black into an imprint. Oh, really? So it's going to be a full imprint. And in January, we have this book called Watson and Holmes. It's going to be actually Noir's New Black Presents Watson and Holmes, which is a reinvention of, of the Sherlock Holmes mythos in Harlem with black characters. Uh, we have two volumes of that, and we're going to create new material. So, uh, and we're gonna do this. Like, we have another, we have a spin-off of one of the stories that was in the first Noir's New Black that is gonna be released also as Noir's New Black Presents, Owsley, um, mm -hmm. that we're gonna do next year. So, Which is one of my favorite stories out of it. Thank you. Of the book, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, and we already published two of them. Like, there was one that was in the original Noir's New Black, and the other one was in Mutiny Magazine. Yeah. So, the, for us, it's like, how do we expand beyond our uh, own reach? Like, there are, there's the Morsley Black program. We have another collection now called Classified. That is a political spy thriller type of thing. Uh, that is also kind of popular. We're not at the levels of Morsley Black yet, but we're, like, we're doing very, very, it, we're doing very good with that. And, and we have this third um, 
kind of color uh, with uh, with the On Tokyo Legend, which is our new title, where we are finally doing periodicals. Uh, we're doing our version of periodicals, and I think we're going to talk about it a little later. But um, but one thing I wanted to like we were talking about it. I think I've had this conversation with other people about anthologies. Yeah. And Noir is a new black was an anthology. Yes, it even is. It was a big collection, but it was an anthology at the end of the day mm-hmm. with all the work that comes with that, which is bigger. And, and you were, you know, we all say, you know, the sales aren't there, the numbers aren't there, you know, to support the industry. Everybody tries to do an anthology and they have issues they run up against the mount. But it sounds like that was a success. It, it depends on how you look at it, I guess. Yes. Because it was a success for some of the creators if you're saying they're being poached by other, you know, other people. Oh, so sure. they got out there. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they remember where they started, you know, and come back around. Some of them do. When you make a phone call. Some of them don't. <laughs> and then, <laughs> that's, but, that's the game. But you also were able to figure out your market. You obviously sold the numbers you wanted to get yes. and beyond. Yes. And then now you're able to look at the world differently from that experience yes. and see what can I do next with it. Which, yeah. I mean, as you know, you have a lot of books coming out next yes. year. A lot for, yes. I mean, and that's in, a huge leap. And in, and in all, but all genres, all genres, all all audiences, because like, and I think... But you must have learned something from from that to be able to do that. I mean, there's one thing that, and you'll know that, Francis, I started as a journalist, as a comic book journalist. So my first, the first thing that I do is analyzing the market. And I do that, like, even unconsciously. Like muscle reflex, yeah. Exactly. Like, I look at the market, and the fact that we're doing 12 to 15 conventions a year, you also feel the vibe from the floor. Yeah. So you see real people reacting to the products. And the industry just come back big time with yes. the numbers after COVID. It, exactly. And you were doing Noir was a new black, I can't remember, but just before COVID or during no, COVID? No, it was during COVID. During COVID. Yes. So you're dealing with that weird time, but then you come back and the money that's coming back into this industry exactly. is well, double. I mean, the thing is, you have to know your place. Like yeah. when you're a small publisher, everything is a challenge. Yeah. Like, everything is a challenge. Every retailer that you, you meet is going to look at you and say, okay, what are you bringing to the table? And so you have to constantly prove yourself. That's what I was saying. You have to constantly prove yourself. And you have to constantly hustle to make sure that people never forget you. And I'm, I'm still surprised. Like, we've been distributed by Diamond since uh, 2021. Our, our first book was in September 2021, so a little bit like over a year. And um, you still have retailers who said, are you distributed by previews? And we have a section, we have a double-page spread in every issue of Previews magazine, yeah, the, uh, the catalog, <laughs> and people don't even look at it. So yeah. uh, that that tells you, and I'm not even like That's mad about it. Yeah, yeah it's no, it's it, they have a lot of references, they have yeah. a lot of things to do, and it, it seems like there's a new publisher every week, so they don't want to get attached, I understand that. So my, uh, my goal is to prove that we're, gonna, we're here for the long haul, that we're, we're here to stay and that when we're reliable, we're regular, we're consistent with what we're doing. Yeah, because there's new publishers every week, but like with my experience with Antics, the first version, we were gone after a year. Exactly. You know, and what retailer, what convention, whatever, is going to, you know, you have to prove yourself like you've been saying. Absolutely. And then... You know, just like, can they trust that you're going to be around? You know, are you going to have, they're going to deal with customers? Are like, why didn't that last issue come out? You know, or people who are going to just, everybody's like, yeah, you have to, the hustle and just the, 
if you haven't been like the marathon thing we were talking about a couple yes. days, if you haven't been around for 10 years, you got to do something else to prove that, that you're going to be around tomorrow. Absolutely. And, no. and tomorrow can be in a year, in two years, and in five years. So I want Fair Square Comics to be around in 10 years. I want Fair Square Comics to outlive me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in order to achieve that, I need to work very hard right now with my very tiny little team um, to make sure that this happens. And that, that, that goes to being very uh, responsible with the money, being responsible with the product we put out, being responsible with the creators we hire. Uh, it requires a lot of discipline. So um, I'm not do, counting my hours, that's what I'm going to say. Do you retailers respond to that discipline? Do they respond to the aggressiveness so you have? It's funny because some are extremely they, they, they really love what we do, uh, and some, most of them are right now indifferent. But we're doing, we're addressing it. Like what we're doing for the first time this year, we have a table at the Diamond Retailer Summit. It's an investment. Like when you, you have to invest two, two twenty-five hundred dollars, two thousand twenty-five hundred dollars to get there at the table just to speak to these people. But I feel that this investment will be rewarded because they will put a face next to the books. And they will say, okay, so Fair Square Comics are these guys. Now we can, now we will remember them. We can't unsee them. So this is an investment, but I feel that it's going to pay off. And I want to tell retailers, if they listen to this, we need them as much as they need us. Uh, and, uh, and the fact that I'm looking, for example, most of our products are more expensive than our competition. This is a, a, an ongoing debate that I have with Diamond. I might say like, oh, your books are very expensive. And I'm like, there's a reason for that. Number one, and I said that multiple times, I refuse to print outside of the United States. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've talked about that, I think, before. Yes. Yeah. I want, you, I want, I want a carbon footprint that I want to be responsible with the environment. I want to make American workers work, yeah. even though I'm not American uh, yet. <laughs> but but I, want, I want to make sure that the jobs stay here, which, is, which resonates with people. Um, mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that we are reactive and we are printing, reprinting, reprinting with a short turnaround. So you have, yeah, and then you want to re But that this has a cost. Yeah. It costs more than printing in Asia. So our books are more expensive. We also want to make sure that we achieve uh, um, our, our um, we, we reach our goal and we're profitable faster so that creators get money faster and they're secured in doing another volume, doing another issue. Because at the end of the day, it's also putting more money in the, in the pockets of the creators, but it's also putting more money in the pockets of retailers. Because when you, when you have a book that is a little more expensive, well, that's more money for the retailer. Yeah, the price point issue. Exactly. And I've been hearing that conversation for 30 absolutely. years about the price point issue. About the price like, point issue. Yeah, and I know a for a fact, or $7. I know for a fact that if I sell my comics for five, considering we're a, we're a relatively new publisher and we uh, 
and we need to prove ourselves, they will not order more because they're five dollars. This conversation with retailers is something we learn constantly mm -hmm. from this market, and you can't approach it with um, uh, like arrogance. You have to be humble all the way, like, and it's like the more you the more you know, the less you know. Yeah. So I got a couple more minutes left. Yes. Two more questions. Uh, first one, mutiny, which is my I, I from day one love mag and love it, and um, the latest issue just came out. Issue three. Is there any updates on that you want to provide? Yes. So because I great support. I think anybody who comes across it should at least check it out because I, I don't know. I missed. I read those when I first started. All the magazines that come out, I just was obsessed with them. And this sort of, but it was really well done. It's just a gorgeous-looking magazine, Thank and you very much. the combination of, you know, pictures and articles and stories and everything. It's yeah. like ah, you know, for me. Well, so we had to put uh, Mutiny magazine on ice. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, remember, I'm a one-man band. Yeah. So, the amount of work, energy, and budget that is invested in mutiny was not rewarded by uh, the sales. Uh, it's not that the magazine was not profitable, it's just that it was only profitable if I was doing everything myself, which is not happening. Yeah. So, I was like... And we talk about that, about maintaining your health. Exactly. For all the creators, yes. everybody. And, and, and even in working seven days a week, very long hours, 15, 16 hours so a day. it's mentally and physically it's, it's taxing. Exactly. It's mentally and physically taxing. So I was like, is this what I want to do? I, I mean, as you know, I had a magazine before. Yep. When I was on the other side of the ocean, I, I had this magazine called Comic Box. And I maintained Comic Box beyond reason. Like it died multiple times, I brought it back. I kept bringing back comic books because I thought that was what I needed to do and that I needed it. But I'm 52, I don't know how many good years I have ahead of me and I think that it's not the time for vanity projects. And Mutiny served its purpose, which was to help us introduce new creators, new creators of color, immigrant creators, LGBTQ creators, disabled creators to the world. And all the people who saw these four issues of Mutiny that we published loved them. The problem is that most retailers just didn't believe in it. So it's still our number one selling product on our web store and at conventions. We're selling a lot of Mutiny. Like this Good. weekend at New York Comic Con, it's the number one sale. It's Mutiny magazine. Good. All issues. See, you were doing something right. <laughs> we were doing something right. And everyone who has it in hand say, oh, this is beautiful looking magazine. It's actually very interesting. Let me buy you one copy, two copies, three copies. But the problem is, there's simply so much thing you can do in a day. And I have to prioritize. And I can do two or three graphic novels for the amount of money and energy that I'm spending in you. Mm -hmm. 
Because of course you imagine that it's not just the, the design, or it's not just like negotiating the covers, or it's not just negotiating the stories and doing the contracts and, and following up with the creators for all these stories that are inside. But it's also conducting the interviews, making sure that everything on time, dealing with print issues, with paper issues, with transportation issues. It's just so much work for one person that I'm like, okay, maybe I don't want to do that anymore. Maybe it's too much. Like, And as good as it is, I think that Fair Square Comics at this point in its history needs just more comics and graphic novels because this is a format that retailers understand. So I will get back to more comics and, and, and uh, graphic novels and we actually something great came out of it because when we started the company I was very against, very much against uh, periodicals. And uh, Mutiny actually helped me open my mind about periodicals and I found a format that actually suits me and suits the, the retailers, which is a deluxe format, square bound, a little bit more expensive, but bi-monthly. So yeah, for the retailers, exactly the same thing, but you have a better looking product and a better value for your product when you buy one of those bi-monthly. And that leads into my last question is like, you're going to be launching this in 2023. Yes. So we're already starting in 2022. We have this, we have this miniseries called Beyond Tokyo Legends that we're debuting here at New York Comic Con with a New York Comic Con exclusive cover. It's from the beautiful minds of Henry Barajas and, uh, and Brian Valenza with a murder row of, of incredible artists. We have three covers for, for one. We have Steven Segovia, we have Philip Tan, we have Karen Darbo, and we're going to follow up. And it's a mini-series that's going to be bi-monthly from November 2nd in score. And the numbers are pretty good. Nice. So we got FOC numbers this week. The numbers are pretty good. We're very happy with it. And it's it's actually very encouraging because we're going to launch our first ongoing series in early 2023. It's a series called Photonic Man of Light. Uh, and it stars a disabled hero whose powers make him not disabled, and he changes, he rocks his whole world, and he's, and he's questioning his own personality, because he's lived as a hunchback all these years, and all of a sudden, he's a super-powered person, and it's like, am I losing myself? So it's a, it's a, it's, because I, I, yes, I didn't want to do superheroes without a, without something more profound. And yeah. I found this series, which was also one of my childhood series, because we're importing it from France. Um, and um, and uh, and it's an important book for us. And we're it's a huge, huge gamble. But I don't care. Like we we have the luxury of being kamikazes in this industry <laughs> and taking risks where others are not. I believe in the virtues of counter programming. I believe in the virtues of taking risk because it will pay off. Yeah, and as we said, it's a marathon. We've only been at it, what, for looking at 2023 will be year number 
four? Number three. Number three. I mean, officially number four, but actually number three as a publisher. Well, as a publisher. Yeah. And, you know, five years in, then you started sort of figuring out what's going on. Correct. It's Absolutely. a marathon. You can't marathon. just figure out, you know, retailers, yeah. everything that we've talked about. Yeah, and you our, have to our, be our there. slice of life program is starting really yeah, nice. incredibly with no kidding. The, the book on women's rights we released last month. Yeah. We have another book coming for Valentine's Day of all days about body positivity, about these two women and non-binaries who are talking about their relationship with their bodies. We have a book, the LGBTQ book that comes out in late May, early June called A Boy Named Rose. Uh, we, we have, we're expanding in every area. We have middle grades. We started the YA program with Lady Bird this year. We have another book in January, another book in, in March. We're doing, we're trying to reach out to audiences that don't even know they wanted our products. Yep. And once they see it, they get it. Gotcha. Well, sounds like it's going to be a great, well, 2022 is going to end really well. Yes. 2023, you got a whole marathon. Speaking of marathons, yes. you got a marathon on the East Coast doing the convention. So, yes, absolutely. Um, enjoy your Thank time you. out here. It's Thank okay. You. Just perfect timing. It's the fall, so it's gorgeous. It is. So, I thanks. love New York in the fall. <laughs> Thank you very much, Fabrice. Thank you. Fabrice. I'll be seeing you around. Bye. See ya.